stand for the word of God. Please stand as we read the Bible. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and someone will come to you with a Bible. We have some here in the middle. Can you bring those up? It's a Bible, English or Spanish. And if you don't, if you don't own a Bible, you can keep this Bible. A couple over there. Right over there, anyone else need a Bible, English or Spanish? Okay, we are going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 23, verse 33, starting in verse 33. The book of Luke, chapter 23, beginning in verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, that was the hill, that's the name of the hill that Jesus was crucified on, Calvary, also called Golgotha. When they came to the place called Calvary, there there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. The word blaspheme means a particularly... Terrible insult. A wicked insult. One of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our sins, of our deeds. He's saying we deserve to be here, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, as we come here, Lord, today, just opening your word, that we would stop the game playing with you. We would stop playing games with the creator of heaven 
and earth. We would stop, Lord, treating you as we have done so many times, just sort of recognizing, oh yes, there's a God, but we, then we put you in our hip pocket and we only pull you out when we get into trouble or need something, something's wrong. And we put you back in our hip pocket as soon as the prayer is answered. Or we throw the card to the ground when it's, if it's not in the way that we want. God, I just pray that from my own heart, how many times I've done that. Countless thousands, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we... You have called us to come, as, as Neil just, just said in his closing prayer after worship. You've called us to come. We're here. And Father, how you love us. You, you call us the beloved. And you love us as much as as many, anything else, you've, you've called us and loved us by speaking to our hearts in a very confusing time to, to bring clarity, to make things clear, to make things real. Father, speak to us, speak to me, speak to my heart. Lord, Lord let me preach like I'm preaching to an audience of one. You. Open up our eyes, our minds, and our hearts to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Luke 23, verse 33 says, And when they had come to Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals one on the right hand and the other on the left. Not one cross, but three crosses. Not a coincidence, all planned out by God. Three crosses. Starting with the cross in the center, nailed to this cross, an iron stake through his right hand, an iron stake through his left, and an iron stake through his feet is Jesus Christ. The Bible calls him the Son of God. The Bible calls him the Lamb of God. The Bible calls Jesus the image of the invisible God. Isaiah prophesying 750 years before this time that we're reading about, said this of Jesus. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. The Bible also calls him the word of life, the bread of life, the living water. John chapter 4, verse 42 says he's the savior of the world. Hebrews chapter 4 Verse 14 says that he was in all ways tempted just as you, but without sin. And now he's nailed to a cross in between two thieves. He's in the center. On his right, a thief. On his left, a thief. Not a coincidence. Not even one bit. All planned out by God before the foundation of the world. Jesus is in the center. He's separating these two men from each other. He's dividing them. But listen, it's more than just dividing them 
physically. He's dividing them in a way much more than that. This is what we're going to talk about. Jesus Christ always divides. He divides, he separates light from darkness. Because of who he, Jesus, is and always has been, wherever he's introduced, his name introduced, a separation occurs, a division. It's like you see with these two thieves. One's cursing him, the other is surrendering himself to him. Same thing happens in the world. Because of who Jesus is and always has been, a separation occurs. The name of Jesus Christ separates. It says right here in uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And, and Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus Christ always divides. There's something about Jesus that brings people to a crossroads and forces them to go one way or another. There's something about Jesus that triggers a reaction deep inside of who they are. Deep in there. Listen, Calvary Chapel. We live in a spiritual world. If you don't know that already. We live in a profoundly spiritual world. And when the name of Jesus or, or Jesus himself is introduced, something happens deep in the spirit of man where man is confronted with them, and there's a divide, and there's no better picture of this than the three crosses. Jesus in the middle, a thief on one side, a thief on the other. A divide much more, much more than just physical. What am I talking about? Look at verse 39, first criminal. First thief. He's a thief. He's on the, the cross for stealing it says in verse 39, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, speaking to Jesus, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Again, the word blaspheme means to insult. It Really what it means is to despise with your words. Blaspheme. If you blaspheme someone, you are attacking them with your words. Now, as we've already mentioned, two responses every man and woman has to Jesus Christ. The first one is to be offended, angry, turned off of who he is and what he represents. The other is to just fully embrace him for everything he is. Here in verse 39, you see the first. This thief more or less does the same thing that everyone who has ever rejected God does. He fashions his own idea about what God should do in his life or her life and when God doesn't do what he wants, he rejects him. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. And he's insulting him. He's despising him because he's not doing it. In other words, if you're God, you need to act in a way that I want you to act. If you're a God, you need to be the way I think you need to be. If you're a God, you need to do what I think you should do. If you do what I think you should do, well, then maybe I'll go along with it. If you don't, I want nothing to do with you. Thief number one. 
If you're God, save me right now from this situation I am in. Forget about the fact now that Jesus Christ hanging on a cross in the process of becoming a substitute for millions upon millions upon millions of people throughout all history, taking their sin on him, saving them from eternal judgment, purchasing an everlasting relationship with God. Forget about all that. I don't care about any of that. I care about me. If you're God, get me down right now. He just wants Jesus to come down from that cross and meet his needs. This thief, we will call him thief number one, has made God into his own image. That's what you do and me. We make God into our own image and we decide what he is supposed to do and what he's supposed to be like. We do that. I do that. Thief number one. Again, he, he's made God in his own image in order to suit his own desires, in order to meet his own needs and ideas of who God is. It's the same way people who, who, who see God, respond to God. If, if, listen, if, if God really exists, why is he allowing me to suffering? Why all these sufferings in my life? Why doesn't he come down and just stop this suffering right now? He's not doing that, so I don't want anything to do with him. No different than thief number one. If you're the Christ, get down off of the cross, you and us, and save us. How could a God of love send anyone to hell? Why should God have a problem with the way I live my life? Why is God so narrow-minded? There are answers to those questions, just as there is an answer to the question of why Jesus did not come down from the cross right there and save himself. But that doesn't matter to the man or woman who's like thief number one. The, the man or woman who is like thief number one, and we have this man or woman in every single one of our lives. Every one of us in this room has it. We've made God in our own image to suit our own desires, to meet our, uh, to meet our needs and ideas of who God is. If you are the Christ, come down from the cross, save me. If not, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to push you aside, at least for now. If not forever. How about thief number two? Let's read about thief number two. Let's read verse 40 and 41 together. How does he re respond when he is confronted with this, this man in front of him, Jesus Christ? How does he respond? Verse 40 says this. It says, but the other answering rebuked him. So he's rebuking. That means to correct in a harsh manner in a very forthright manner, he starts talking to the other thief. Thief number two is having a conversation with thief number one. And what does he say? He says, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, we're getting what we deserved, he says. For we received, the, we received the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Verse 41. Jesus Christ, the great divider. Okay, now listen. This is important. Don't miss this. It's really, really important. <laughs> Right before this division takes place, not only physically, but in the way they're talk, talking about Jesus, these two guys, they're carbon copies of one another. In fact, please don't think that the different response you see between thief number two and thief number one is because thief number two is somehow better than thief number one because these guys really are both at the bottom of the barrel when they come to the cross. 
They had both lived a life of crime. They had both lived lives rejecting God. Stealing is rejecting God. If you've never heard that, well, you're in a church, and it's my job to tell you, stealing is rejecting God. Both had lived their lives rejecting God and his commandment, but, but the most amazing thing, here's the most amazing thing, and this is what makes this so powerful. In the book of Mark and Matthew, it says both thief number one and two were cursing Jesus. They were both cursing him at the beginning, both of them. And again, right, right here, Matthew 27 39 through 44, it says, and those who passed by, passed by Jesus, blasphemed him, insulted him. Even the robbers, note the S at the end of robber, plural, both of them. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him, meaning insulted him with the same thing, meaning they were both saying it. If you're the son of God, get down. Get down from the cross, save yourself and us. Both of them were saying that. So what on earth happened with thief number two? What happened to this guy? Why the change? Well, here is what appears to have happened. Read again with me, verse 33, in the beginning of 34. Just go back. Again, it says, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Let me explain. Let me back up a little here and explain. Let me get some context here of where I'm going. Did you notice in what we've read so far about Jesus and the two criminals, one on his right, one on the left, that... Um, those guys didn't really have so uh, a problem talking, did they? I, it, you know, one of them saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself. And the other saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And need, indeed, justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. That's a lot of words. That is a those are a lot of words. They're able to actually hold a conversation they're physically able to have a conversation. Jesus is different. He speaks in bits and pieces because physically, unlike them, he's in bits and pieces. Jesus says very little. If you read through everything the Bible says about Jesus' death on the cross, over the six to nine hour crucifixion, he speaks seven times, but each time he just gets out a few words. Why can't he talk as much as the rest of them? Again, why? Because by the time he was nailed to the cross, he had been beaten to a bloody pulp. He probably had no sleep whatsoever for at least a day and a half. He had been arrested the same morning at about 1 or 2 a.m., the Garden of Gethsemane. And by the way, that's after being in such physical and emotional trauma that he was sweating drops of blood. His sweat was filled with blood, rather, because so, so deep was his anguish. But after he had been arrested, um, between the time he was arrested, uh, somewhere around uh, between midnight and 2 a.m., and the time he was put on the cross, he had been transported to six 
different places. So they took him from the Garden of Gethsemane first to a Jewish court where he was tried for blasphemy, a crime according to the Jews. He was taken from there to the Roman, a Roman court, to Pilate, to the Roman governor. He was taken uh, there to another Roman governor, Herod. He was taken back from Herod to Pilate, the Roman governor. This is all happening in just um, a, a, a number of hours. And then he was taken out, of, uh, out to the Roman guards um, where he was taken off to the cross where the crucifixion began at about 9 a.m. All along the way, from where the time he was arrested to each of those six different places, then to the cross, he was beaten all along the way. He was beaten. <laughs> in Luke, it says, in between his arrest and his appearance before the Jewish court, he was blindfolded and struck in the face. In the book of Mark, it says that when he met the Jewish court, he was again blindfolded again um, and beaten again before the Roman governor in order to please the crowd. Uh, in the book of Mark, it says that um, the Roman governor whipped him. Now, a Roman whip had uh, six or seven strands of leather. In between the lever, there was little pieces of iron and glass which was made for the specific purpose of ripping the back open. Many people did not survive the Roman whipping, the scourge. And keep in mind that the Jewish law, for those of you who don't know, there was a Jewish law. You could not be whipped more than 40 times. The Romans had no such law. So many people died of a Roman scourging. And, and it says after Jesus had that, that whipping, he was sent to Roman soldiers. Roman, Mark, 5, Mark chapter 15 says the Roman uh, soldiers dressed Jesus up in a purple robe, twisted a crown of thorns into his head. In other words, so it wouldn't move around or fall off. They, twi they, 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 put the, they twisted the thorns right into his skull uh, and through his skin. They beat him further, at which point he took him off to the cross. He was unable to physically do it, so the Romans forced someone else to do it. Isaiah 52 says, by the time Jesus was on the cross, he had been beaten beyond recognition. Isaiah 52, 14 says, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form beyond human likeness. And so these thieves are, are next to Jesus. Clearly, they're not in a good place. They have nails between their hands and their, in, in their feet. But let me tell you, they were in a lot better shape than Jesus. He could only get a few words out at a time. They're having a conversation with each other. So thief number two is looking at Jesus. He's beaten to a bloody pulp, a bloody mess. And, 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 and keep this in mind. He knows who Jesus is. The Bible says that all Jerusalem was stirred moved all Jerusalem it uses the word all was stirred and got excited that means getting excited when Jesus had come into the city the week before so thief number two like the rest of Jerusalem he knows who Jesus is he had opened the eyes of the blind he had made the lame walk he had healed lepers and hundreds if not thousands of others the thief number one uh, knew that Jesus had raised a man from the dead just a few um, days before Lazarus. Thief number one knew, he well knew Jesus' reputation of speaking to the poor, the multitude, with gentleness and mercy, unlike any religious person had ever spoken to them before. Um, he, they, the thief number one knew that Jesus, instead of avoiding prostitutes, thieves, and drunks, actually went to the, in them and congregated with them. And thief 
number two is looking at all this. Jesus on the cross, everyone cursing him, mocking him, lashing out on him, remembering in his own anger, he cursed at him. And all of a sudden, he hears this man beaten to a bloody mess say in verse 34, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. And he begins to think, now wait a second. Now hold on a second. Hold on. I've just been cursing this man. Wait, 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 wait. That's not normal. That's not human. Forgive them after what they've done to him. He's barely alive. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he looks over Jesus' head. Look at verse 38. It says a sign was put over Jesus' head that said, this is the king of the Jews. Now, it was written to mock him. But thief number two is looking at that, and all of a sudden... A great fear comes over him. This guy's a king. This, the, this guy's a king. This man is the son of God, and I've been cursing him with the, with the rest of the crowd, this king. But at the same time, something else comes over him, an overwhelming feeling that this man, Jesus, loved him that he was beloved, that he was beloved. Father, forgive not only them, but him, for he knows not what he is doing. He said that to me. And so this thief, number two, hears thief number one continue to curse Jesus, despise him with his words, and again, he says in verse 40, do you, do you not fear God? Seeing that you're under the same condemnation, you're also on a cross with him. Verse 41, but we indeed justly, meaning we did what we did, we deserve to be here. For we received the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then... In verse 42, these two verses just send chills down my spine every time I read them. Then thief number two said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, Calvary Chapel, there is a message that's jumping off the pages. Don't miss it. Please do not miss this. Again, it was no accident that these two thieves are on either side of Jesus. This is all planned out. It's not a coincidence. It's, it's the purpose of God. These two thieves hanging on a cross were in the same exact place before God, hopelessly lost, which, listen, is the same of every human being that's ever lived. Apart from God's salvation, you're no different. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, there's no difference. All, and that includes you and me, have fallen short of the righteousness, meaning the, the goodness of God, the, the, the meaning of what God requires for salvation, to be right before him. Listen, before God, your heart, my heart, no different than these two thieves. Going along with the crowd, shaking your fist at God whenever you don't get your way, uh, all loud about it, uh, you know, but, but um, in your hearts, you're really doing the same thing. You fashion God in a way that you want. When we want, how we want him. We're doing the same thing. 
You know, we may not be cursing God directly, but we just put them back in our hip pocket or throw them to the side until we get what we want. Listen, Jesus himself, this man hanging on the cross, had said prior to him getting to the cross, he said that describing your heart and mine says this um, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and then look, blasphemies. He's describing your heart. God, look at my life. Look at the suffering. Are you not a God of love? Would you please fix this right now, God? What kind of God would you please get down from the cross and, and, and from wherever you are, your hidden place, and, and, and would you deal with my situation as if God doesn't know exactly what he's doing in the world and in your life? This is what we have in the soil of our hearts. Can we have it one more time? Matthew 15. It's in the soil of your heart. The seedbed. The only difference, please listen to this, Calvary Chapel. Please listen to this. The only difference between you and these thieves is your, is you, your circumstances. These thieves fell into circumstances in their life much worse than yours and mine, into temptation far more than what we've ever had, at least most of us, in this church over the years. And there may be one or two right now, but in this church over the years, we've had more than one young man, we've had multiple growing up in houses where every day their mother or grandmother pleaded with them to sell crack cocaine to bring money into the house. That's what they grew up. And they went out and they did it. They were thieves. Do you really think you're any different? than the worst thief and the worst jail in the world? Do you really think that? If so, you're deceiving yourself in the most exceedingly egregious bad way. You are so foolish and deceived. There is no difference all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we all have the exact same two choices to make when it comes to this Jesus. I have this question for all of you here today. Like thief number one, have you made up your own plan for your life? Living in this country, United States of America, Fueled by trillions of dollars of debt, where we all, where we get what we want here. Have you figured out for yourself just how God is supposed to operate? You got this career, you got this goal, and 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 you've brought along God out of your hip pocket. You gotta put your hand on this God. This is surely this is you. It's a good idea. I know it's you. And, and, and if he doesn't fit into your plan, or if your, uh, if your plan goes sideways, um, um, or, 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 or this type of thing, you push him out. You push him out. And you take things into your own hand. Jesus Christ has knocked on the door of your heart and said, I'm the king. And you're not treating him like a king. You're pushing him out and pulling him back whenever you see fit? Or are you like thief number two? In spite of whatever your life has been about, in spite of whatever you've done, are you willing to accept God's plan? That Jesus, and Jesus alone, is king. He's the king. He's the Lord. He died for your sins. He is the only way to the Father 
I, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you've said, okay, yeah, Jesus, I, I'm done with treating you like I've done with the past. Get off the cross. Come down. Meet my needs. No, listen, you take me wherever you want, Jesus. I'm going because you're faithful and you are God. Which one are you? The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That word Lord means king. He's your king. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is king and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart you believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth you confess unto salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And that's exactly what thief number two did. It's exactly what he did. He confessed with his mouth. He even used the word Lord. He, 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 he believed with his heart who Jesus was. He was the king. He, he called out to the Lord. He was saved. His glorious words in verse 42, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's just been cursing God. I think the Lord that he had, God gave him the grace to not say, I can't ask this guy to remember me when he comes into his kingdom after I was just cursing him. That's not, that's not the grace of God. God wants to save you. He loves you. He loved both these thieves, number, thief number one and number two, but he does give a choice. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Notice Calvary Chapel. Jesus doesn't say one fact, one little thing about the fact the guy had just been cursing him. Doesn't say that. Weren't you just cursing me? Doesn't say that. There's no reminder of his past. He doesn't stick his nose down in the mud. We do that to each other. God doesn't do that. No demand that he recite Hail Marys or do something else to make up for what he, he did. He was physically, it was physically impossible for him to make up for anything that he ever did. His hands and feet are nailed to the cross. If there's any picture in the Bible that you cannot do anything anything, not a single thing to earn your way to heaven. It's this picture before us in Luke 23. There's nothing left he could do other than to open up his uh, heart to God and say, remember me. Calvary Chapel, we have so little understanding of the grace of God. <laughs> this is the grace of God. You curse God one minute, the next, you open up your heart to him. If it's, if it's the real thing, he comes right in. God delighted to save this man, and he delights to save you and me. Think about it. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. A few hours later, Jesus died. Jesus died a few hours later. And the first person he receives into heaven is a thief, an outcast. No religious training, no confirmation, no baptism, important. No baptism, important. No baptism. He couldn't be baptized. He had lived a, a life of crime. How did it happen? Simply a recognition of his own sin, I deserve what I have. And two words, remember me. So this message is the thief number two 
Easter message because he got Easter two days before everyone else. He got it two days before everyone else. And it's the wonderful thing about the grace of God is resurrection really for us now. And what... Clearly, after three days, the, the, the stone was rolled away. Jesus' body had been in the tomb. It was raised from the dead, a glorious resurrection. But there's no wait anymore. We have Easter the moment we ask Jesus to come in as king of our life. I'm going to ask Neil to come up at this time. I'm going to have communion now. If you could pick up this, one of these should be underneath your, your seats. But what is so important as we're going to have communion is that there, there's so much to study in the Word of God. There's so much to dig in. I, I want to dig in now Big time, once again, before we have communion, briefly, I want to dig in to these, the, the, what, what thief number, what thief number uh, two said. Because, man, I want to be like this guy. I want to be like him. He, the, again, uh, the, the other thief was cursing Jesus, get down off of the cross, save yourself and us, and let's get out of here if you're the Christ. But this guy essentially gets up in his face. He couldn't. He was nailed to the cross. But he's, he, he's, he's speaking against thief number one, and, and, and he says, do you not even fear God, seeing that you're under the same condemnation? And then in verse 41 he says, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Here's a more plain English translation here, the ISV. It says, we have been condemned justly, meaning justice has happened. That's why we're hanging on the cross. We deserve to be here. Is that incredible or not? This is not how human beings are. When people are, are in the middle of, have been nailed to whatever in their life because of a punishment, they're not saying, I, I got exactly what, that's not the heart of man. But this man is saying, we have been condemned justly because we are getting what we deserve for what we have done, but this man has done nothing wrong. So Calvary Chapel, What's our heart like when we're like thief number one? What's our heart like? What is our heart like? I, I want to I, I go just briefly. You don't have to go there with me. But we were in Romans for a long time. In Romans chapter 1 and 2, uh, some of the hardest teachings I've ever had to give. I, I, it was really, really hard. But there's a description, in, first of all, in Romans chapter 1 of of the creation that God had made, the fact that he had created everything to make it abundantly clear that there was a God and man is to seek him. But then he goes on in Romans chapter one and he says, but what man did, he made the creation a substitute for the creator. He rejected God. And then in Romans chapter two, there's a description of hell. And it's awful. There's a description of what happens to someone when they substitute God, the creator of everything, and start worshiping, following, idolizing something he's created. A horrific description of hell. It says in, in Romans chapter two, those who do this for you who despise the riches of his goodness, his long suffering, for those of you who do that, because of the hardness and, and, and impenitent heart that you have, you have treasured up for yourself the wrath of God in the day of judgment. It says of God, he will render to each one according to uh, his deeds, eternal life with him, 
who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. In other words, those who say, yes, I want you, God. But, verse 8, to those who are self-seeking, get off of the cross, get into my life now and and fix this thing now, God. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, they will receive God's indignation Wrath, meaning his anger, the the anger of God, tribulation, and great anguish of soul. That's a description of of hell. And and before we have communion, it does say, let a man, let a woman examine themselves before communion. I just want to ask you, you know, we, 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 we hear today, particularly here in Boston, oh, hell. There's no such thing as hell. Is there a hell? Why would there be a hell? Listen, a much better question than that is, how could there possibly not be a hell? That's the real question that people should be asking. How could there be, there not be a hell? Where God has created the heavens and the earth. He's created the world. He's created mountains. He's created oceans. All the fish in the ocean. He's created vast plains and hills. He's created all the animals on them. He's created wind. He's created fire. He's created lightning. He's He's created the sun. He's created music. He's created dance. He's created, uh, he, he's created uh, the, 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 the gift of songs in our heart. He did it. He's created every tribe, nation, and tongue. He's created all of them. And, and look up at the stars, billions of them, every single one of them. And you have put the creator of the universe in your hip pocket and you only pull them out? When something happens in your life and you need something fixed and you put them back in your hip pocket when he doesn't fix it the way you want or if he fixes it, well, that's good. I don't need them anymore. And you put them back and you don't think you deserve hell for that. Come on, Calvary Chapel. Don't believe lies. Now, Jesus hated the idea of hell so much, that's why he came to earth. God so loved the world. He came by, through his son. He broke into human history and wants to get between man and hell and save. It says he desires all men to be saved. But who are you? Are you thief number one? Can you really say from the bottom of your heart, can you really say, what the, remember what thief number one says? He says, I deserve this condemnation. I deserve it. Can, uh, can you from the bottom of your heart say, I deserve, I deserve hell. I deserve hell. I, 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 and I have, and, and, and instead of being grateful for the fact that God has plucked me out of hell and, and, and put me into an everlasting, everlasting love relation with his son. I just complain. God, get down from your cross. Would you fix this situation? Would you fix this pain in my body? Would you fix this career situation? Would you re- re- fix this relationship that I'm in? Would you fix this depression that I have? Is that who you are? If so, you're thief number one. That's who you are. But the good news is we got the word of God. We got the word of God. And and, and Paul says to Timothy, whatever you do, when people gather together, preach the word of God so that their eyes open up to the reality. What's the reality, Catholic Chapel? I deserve hell. But Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you have Easter that day. That day, 
an eternal relationship with God. The Bible says that the moment you accept Jesus into your life as king, he come, he invades your life by the Holy Spirit, washes you up so that as shocking as it may seem to you, the Bible teaches at that moment you ask Jesus in your life, you are as good and blameless as you will, will be for all of eternity. That's how good that salvation is. That's how great our God. And let me tell you, he created all those billions of stars. He can do stuff like that. He does. He loves to do it. He delights to save you. What I'd like to do now, I'd like every one of you, can, you, can, can everyone just hold this? Just, just hold this. If I have done, if something, have, if something has been said today, either from the Bible, from the mouth of thief one, thief two, Jesus, from the word of God, that's just stirring in your heart, and, 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 and you know something's awry, you know something ain't right. As Neil just begins to pray now, would you just stand up and let me pray for you? You know something's not right and you just want me to pray for you? Your heart's out of place? What you're holding, what you're holding in your hand, the Bible says in the book of John, it's, it's the blood and the body of Jesus. Not literally, but when Jesus describes the wine and the bread, he says, this is my body. This is my blood. If you'd like for me to pray for you, just for the grace of God, just to fix that twisted misunderstanding, that twisted place, that wrong place that you have, just stand up. Let me pray for you right now. God, Oh man, I was reading the I was reading the verses of John the Baptist this morning. And he says that this man who's going to come after me whose sandal I'm not even worthy to tie, he's going to make things that are twisted straight. Oh, how he has done that with me. And how he has done that with so many of us, how much he wants to do that with you. Please agree with me in prayer as I pray for those standing. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus for everyone standing. And Lord, that would include me. <laughs> Father, please, I pray for myself. God, that they would not be like hip pocket Christians, but they would be like the place that thief number two got himself to. I deserve hell, and God has plucked me out and has put me in a broad place on a rock, the rock of salvation. Just pray, pray, Father, in the name of Jesus that you would establish them in that wonderful truth. Anyone who's sitting here who wants just really a better understanding standing of the grace of God and to live by the grace of God in this picture of this thief number two who couldn't do a thing. He could not do a single thing to make up for what he's done. This picture of grace. If you need a better understanding of grace because grace empowers. Let me tell you, if we try to live the Christian life out of a sense of duty, we're going to fail. You're going to fail. But if you... Live it, empowered by the grace of God. Oh man, will you start shedding sin that you've never been able to get over. If you want a better understanding of grace, stand right now. Let me pray for you too.
Father, I just pray for everyone standing, including myself, Lord. You say in, in Romans chapter 6, Lord, that dominion does not, rather sin does not have dominion over you because you're under grace. What on earth does that mean, Lord? Would you tell everyone who just stood, Lord? They just humbled themselves. You say in your word that the pride you are, will oppose, but you will give grace to the humble. You will give understanding to the humble. You exalt Exalt them with an understanding of grace, Lord, that they go out of here with power and learn to feed on your grace, Lord, as they've never had in their life. Feeding on your grace. God, I pray that for Lord, I beg that for me, for my family, for our church, the brothers and sisters, the family of God here. We thank you so much, Lord, For the resurrection. It was the proof that sin has been defeated, Lord. We thank you for the resurrection. Could everyone stand up, please, at this time? So we're going to sing a song now together as four stanzas. After the second one, in between the second and the third, we're going to have communion. But you know, this is a little goofy. I hope this isn't too goofy. Sometimes we need goofy stuff. I just want you to, I just want you to hold this. You know, I, I personally, I prefer communion pre-COVID where we could go back and get the cup and, and the bread. But man, the nice thing about this, we can hold the body and the blood at the same time. And again, it's not literal, but Jesus did say, that's what it represents. He called it the body, and his body, and this is my body and blood, he said. And, and so while just we worship, just remember what you're holding in your hand and the blessing, the gift that he's given you by giving you his body and his blood. The Bible says he gave you his body and his blood physically on the cross but then after, just through the gift of what we're doing now, just having communion together. Looked up 
And I saw my Lord dying on a tree Take the wafer in your hand. Just lift it up. The wafer in your hand. The bread represents the body of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. That I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner. He also took the cup after supper, saying, so you take the cup at this point. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Partake of the Let's continue to worship. Let's close out with worship the last two stanzas of this song. <laughs> 